some glad morning when this life is o'er. I'll fly away, fly away, fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away, fly away. It's with great sorrow that I report to you John Malone's passing. On March 1st, 2021, John fell asleep for the last time. He was in his own home, surrounded by those he loved, and ministered to by his many grandchildren, both in song and in prayer. The following Saturday, March 6th, hundreds of John's closest friends and family gathered for a memorial service in Omaha, Nebraska, while others around the world joined virtually by Zoom. It was a seven-hour marathon of laughter and tears, stories and testimonies, food and prayers. John would have loved it. What you're about to hear is Mark Mancuso's eulogy given at that event, followed by a gospel message by me. I'm also including a few of John's favorite hymns sung by an acapella group. John used these songs on his radio ministry back in the day. In fact, as we rebroadcast those old messages on this podcast, you may sometimes hear John reference a song which never plays. That's these. Okay, here's what Mark had to say about our brother John. The family of John Malone would like to thank you for coming out today. I'm sure you're all here to honor and remember our friend John Malone. My name is Mark Mancuso. I've been a friend of John since 1983. Uh, we're going to miss him. Today, we're going to have a typical funeral in the sense there will be some hymns, some prayers, uh, a gospel message from Jared Santo. And after this particular meeting, then there will be a gravesite short ceremony. And then everyone that wants to come back here for a meal We'll do so around 4.30. And then tonight, or this evening, we will all have an opportunity to share a story about John. So before we start, I'm always early. John was always late. John was late for his mother's funeral, and I was officiating. And so we had to kind of fill the 15, 20-minute void that day. Wish John was here today in the flesh. We're here. John's not here. We'll talk a little bit about that. Let's open in a word of prayer. Our Father, we're just uh, grateful that uh, we have an opportunity today to remember our uh, friend, the father, grandfather, great-grandfather, a man who is special in the lives of most of the people here. He was a, a man who was bold about his faith, that he was hospitable. He was always there when anyone had a need. We're grateful for the life of our brother, John Malone, and we pray that uh, the tributes that come forward today would be edifying one to another and glorifying to your son. It's in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. This part is a eulogy, and most of you know probably what the word eulogy means. It means a, a speech or writing that gives high praise. And so eulogies are, are not always accurate. We want to be real. We know John was a special personality, a guy hard to get along with sometimes, easy to get along with sometimes, born for adversity. And I brought my problems to him. 
just for example, this, this last uh, year, John officiated a, a wedding last summer, and during the wed wedding, a, a brawl broke out. And you know, you know, John, the last couple of years, he could barely stand. And yet, you know, as I was told, as I had left at the reception uh, early, as a, as a guy came up to him to insult him, John kind of stood in a fighting position and said, bring it. Little did the guy know, John didn't even have a sternum. So I think Chuck jumped in front of him and others. That was John. Well, the last basketball game John went to, uh, I was coaching along with my son and Mike Staffenbeel, and John comes in late, which was usual. He comes in in the second quarter, and trailing John are two police officers at this tournament. Well, didn't quite hear the conversation between the police and John, but later on, John did get a technical. And those of you who know John, he never met an, a sports official that he agreed with. I'm just glad as I umpired several games that John was never in attendance when I was umpiring. You know, John, his roles, as most of us know, he was a friend, he was a pastor teacher, he was a counselor, he was a defender, and he was a, a teaser. Uh, you knew him as a needler, a, a kidder, a trash talker. Um, one of the stories I remember when I worked for John, uh, Computers by Malone, many of you remember his business, they put together custom computers. And since they were custom, they had a no return policy. And so one day some lady walks in who had purchased a computer and she wanted to return it. We said, sorry, ma'am, you know, we have a no return policy. These are custom built computers. And she said, I want to talk to the owner. And so John came out, sat down with her and, you know, held his ground, said, you know, no, I'm sorry. There's no return on these computers. And she said, if you don't give me my money back, I'm going to make your life the most miserable in the world. And so John stepped toward her and said, if that's a marriage proposal, I got to tell you, I'm already married. So, you know, even in stressful conversations or, or uh, circumstances, John could find humor. And it was funny. I was there for that story, and the lady actually laughed. She was angry, and then that kind of diffused her anger. And as I remember, she did not get her money back. John loved to tease his grandchildren. He's got several. What is the count now? 43? I don't know. We, we forget. Something like 43 grandchildren, six great-grandchildren. My children were close to John. We're not related, and yet he treated my children like his own grandchildren. Very appreciative of that, that my children were as close to John as I was. John, as a friend, we talked about the roles. As a friend, John is sort of a paradox. From the standpoint, many of you here, and I know I'm looking at some of you, many of you hated John when you first met him. Come on, tell us the truth. Many of you hated him, and yet 
many of the same people that I would say that about loved him later on. He was that kind of guy. He was a guy that would speak his mind to you despite your reaction to it. And I think all of us knew him that way. You know, Proverbs 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Now, John, I took my problems to him, my financial problems, my circumstantial problems, my family problems. He was always there and he was always ready to listen. Proverbs 27 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And let's admit it, you don't have to raise your hands, but any of you ever mad at John? Was John ever mad at you? I mean, I can raise my hand. I've been on both sides of that. John mad at me several times. I remember one time he was really mad. We weren't even talking for a couple of weeks. I had a problem. I called him up. He was right there. He could forsake the issue, the problem, and yet he came to my defense. I mean, that's the kind of guy he was. And yet, you know, I, I want to be honest. We want to be truthful. We want to be real at a funeral, okay? Eulogy means good words, and there's a lot of good words that we can say about our brother. He was a sinner, and he has always said, and maybe many of you remember this because he said it several times, I want on my tombstone the words, at least he stopped sinning. So I don't know, is that going to be on his tombstone? They're going to try. Yeah, a lot of words, maybe. At least he stopped sinning. There was no facade with John. He never pretended he was not a sinner. First John 1.8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So you always knew who you were dealing with. You always could believe what he was saying. There was no pretense with John. As a pastor teacher, he gave me some great advice years ago when I was single. When I was single, I went to his house almost nightly for dinner. Karen, John, very hospitable. I'd show up, and his statement, and many of you probably remember this, is as Christians, we need to arrange our lives for the benefit of the saints. That was his line. And I remember that from the 1980s. And so when I got married, I thought, yeah, I'd like to pattern my home the way John patterned his home. You know, I told my wife, who's watching on Zoom with back problems today, I told my wife the first meal we had, she made burgers for each of the kids and one for me. And I didn't just want one burger. Uh, I was young then and wanted a little bit more. And I said, I, here's how I want you to cook. I want you to cook as if two strangers are going to walk in and I want us to have enough food for them so people could just pop in at any time. Because I learned that at John's house. You came to John's house, you would have a hard time leaving without a meal because he was always available. His business schedule, something Jeff said Tuesday, we had a Bible study lunch, and uh, his son Jeff had, had mentioned this Tuesday, that it used to drive him nuts, and I understand why, but you might be in the, in the midst of a business negotiation, and maybe at the time you thought it was the most important negotiation you've never ever been in, 
and some individual would call John and need help, and he would drop all of the business and listen to that individual's problem. I always would kid John, and I say, time means nothing to you because you live for eternity. And those of you who knew John best knew that. He was always late. If you're having a conversation with John and said, I have to go, I have to be here in an hour, that meant nothing to him. Time meant nothing to John. And yet he was always willing to take away from his business time to deal with your circumstance and your problem. And, you know, he used to remind me of one word in 1 Corinthians 3.10, which I think is a word that's overlooked a lot in that passage. It's about the Apostle Paul building upon the foundation, which is Jesus Christ. It says, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. And John emphasized that word how, not how much, not how much you build as a Christian, but how you go about it. That word how there is critical. You do things in an appropriate way, in a moral way. And that's how John wanted things done. He was careful how he went about the ministry. Okay, He wasn't worried about preaching to a stadium full of people. He wanted to do what the Lord wanted him to do, and how he did it was important. John was a born teacher. He could always make the complex simple. Those of you who knew him best know that. As a Bible teacher, he had what is called unction, spiritual fervor. He could get through to people. He had moral force when he preached. You know, sometimes you listen to a Bible message, and maybe you just kind of... Yawn, it doesn't hit. John knew how to reach people with the word of God. He really did. He had unction. He had moral force. Those of you here who have never listened to John, there is BibleStudy.net. It's out there on the internet. How many hours of ministry is out there, Jared? 200 hours of ministry on BibleStudy.net. Those of you who've never listened to him, he was on the radio from 2003 to 2005. Those messages got recorded. In fact, the gentleman I just was talking to up here, I don't think I would even know him today if it wasn't for that radio ministry. He's now my son-in-law, and his parents came in the church because of that radio ministry, and my daughter married the Santo son because of that minute, well, not because of that ministry, but because they met and they wouldn't have met without that ministry. And so that impact means a lot to me. So that radio ministry really allowed our church to take off as people heard John preach. As a counselor, John always gave me excellent advice. Excellent advice. Family, business, finances, ministry, always excellent, excellent advice. And John, as you know, was a champion of the underdog. I always remember the movie, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, and and Jimmy Stewart, his character, would say to the older senator, those lost causes, those are the ones to fight for, harder than any. And that was John. If you had a lost cause that he believed in, 
he would fight for it as if it was his own. He really did. He took on other people's issues and burdens as if they were his. And to him, they were his. Now, John, early on, back in the 70s, he latched on to a preacher named Ed Wilson. And Ed Wilson was an old preacher at the time, I think in his 80s, and he had given John a piece of advice. He said, many men have walked away from the pier when their ship was coming in. Well, what does that mean? That means a lot of older men have kind of walked away from the faith. And I'm happy to say, John, as an older man, two weeks short of 70, we were talking about our local church and about the problems of individuals the last week of his life. He was still concerned about issues that come up among us. And issues do come up. And some issues don't go away very easily. John told me about a month ago, until we resolve one issue, I'm not going to die. The Lord will not take me until we resolve this one issue. And he was right. That issue got resolved, kind of a private issue. But John wasn't going to go. He was a fighter till the end. One verse I think about, too, Hebrews 6.19. John also has emphasized, I think, Hebrews 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When you receive Christ as your Savior, you look back to the cross. Your faith looks backwards. Now faith, as a believer, looks forward to the promises of God, to the rewards. And what helps you there? Well, that hope. Hebrews 6, 19. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Without an anchor, a ship will drift away. That hope that we have as believers, which our brother John emphasized a lot, keeps us in a proper position, keeps us where we need to be. Oh, Jesus, you gave a water, you know my Jesus gave a water. Oh, Jesus gave a water, and it was not from the well. Oh, Jesus gave a water, you know my Jesus gave a water. Oh, Jesus gave a water, and it was not from the well, where there was a woman from Samaria, she came to the well to get some water, but then she met a stranger, and he did her story she lived my Savior singing, she came back to him bringing, and the time she had water, Lord, and was not from the well, oh, Jesus gave a water, you know my Jesus gave a water, oh, Jesus gave a water, and it was not from the well. On the way into the building, I was called over by, are you here? Somebody, an old friend of John's from school. And he said, are you a Malone? I was like, no. He said, you look just like a Malone. I've never been so insulted in my entire life. I'm honored to be speaking to you all this afternoon. I've known John for 16 years. That's almost my entire adult life. That's almost my entire Christian life as well. Mark, you said you met him in 83. So I was one year old there. So you've known him for quite a long time. So to some of you, 16 may seem like a pittance. To some of you, 16 is a lifetime, isn't it? It's felt like a lifetime to me. During that time, John was many things to me. He was a teacher. He was my pastor. 
He was my boss for a while. He was my podcast co-host. We would get together and BS. He was my mentor. He was a confidant. He was a friend. And most importantly, he was a brother. With the exception of my father, Terry, and my mother, Connie, John has had more impact on me than any other person under the sun. And that's just me. Many people in this room can say the very same thing. And I look forward to this evening as I hear more and more of these stories and more testimony of all the things John did in your lives. Because John was many things to many people. But there's one thing that he was not. He was not unaffecting. See, John was an agent of change. When he joined a conversation, he would change the conversation. When he entered a business, he would change the business. When he had played a game, he would change the game. He wouldn't even have to be playing the game. He just had to be in proximity of the game, and he would change the game. When he commentated a wiffle ball tournament, he would change my pitching. At least I get to blame him for that game. And when he would walk into a pulpit, he changed people's lives. John was not neutral. He was polarizing. Mark mentioned it. I will reiterate. There are only two types of people. Those who love John Malone and those who hate John Malone. I never met somebody who's just like, eh, he's all right. <laughs> love him or hate him. And some of us have had the experience of being both of those things over the years. Some of us started off hating him, ended up loving him. You can ask my dad about that. Others maybe started off liking him, ended up hating him. And some of us just oscillate day by day. But if this was merely a commentary on his personality, that would be one thing. But it's not merely that, is it? Because John stood for something. John Malone was a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel is not unaffecting. The gospel is not neutral. The Bible calls those who preach the gospel a sweet aroma of Christ in them that are being saved and in them that are perishing. To the one, the aroma of death unto death. And to the other, the aroma of life unto life. Because there are only two types of people. Those who hear the good news about Jesus Christ and receive life everlasting, the sweet aroma of life unto life. And those who reject the truth of the gospel and die in their sins, the aroma of death unto death. That's the thing about the Bible. It cuts both ways. It brings righteousness, and it brings judgment. It saves, and it condemns. It comforts, and it convicts. And yet its message is singular. John 3.36 says, He that believes on the Son has everlasting life, and he that believes not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. One message, two reactions. The effect, then, of the message falls entirely on the hearer, doesn't it? So it's on me, and it's on you. And the question is, what kind of person are you? Are you the kind of person who runs from the light? Do you love the darkness? Are you content with conviction and condemnation? Or are you the kind of person who hears the truth and believes it, who finds comfort and righteousness? Who do you want to be? I mean, we're all here. We're in the Midwest, right? The Western part of the world. The gospel went to the West. We're in Nebraska. And we all know John Malone. 
So we've been around the gospel, all of us. The chances that you've heard the good news before, if you're here, are high. So I will not get into the nitty-gritty. I won't detail how Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and how he was buried and now he rose again the third day according to the scriptures because you've probably heard all of that before. But have you believed it? And why not? What's stopping you? It's not like there's strings attached. I know. I've seen a sales pitch. I know when there's strings attached. That turns me off too. Oh, you're just after money. You're just after time. You're just after this, that, or the other thing. There's no bait and switch with God. He's not on the take. He's on the give. The Bible says he came to his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them, he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He gives the right to be his child. He gives it freely, asking nothing in return. In fact, requiring nothing in return. He won't let you work for it. Maybe you consider that a catch. He requires it to be freely given, that it be of him and not of you. But when you believe that, you experience a second birth, a spiritual birth. And for the first time in your life, you have the peace of God, or at least peace with God. So ask yourself, have I been born of God? You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to say a special prayer. You don't have to come up here and bow a knee. God doesn't require any of that stuff. What's he ask for? He asks for you to believe his report. The reason why funerals are so profitable for us, despite us not really wanting to go to a funeral, is because we all look at the casket and we all think about the deceased. And what do we do? Well, we're selfish, so we think about our own deceased, don't we? Maybe it's just me. I'm thinking about death today. Are you? Well, that's a good thing because death is on the doorstep. Maybe you have 30 years, 40 years. Maybe you have three days, four days. We do not know. Every day, death is one step closer. So what are you waiting for? Like I said, this is probably not the first time you've had the gospel presented to you but it very well could be your last time. So today, while you're here, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you receive life everlasting. For those of us who've already done that, we can tell you what that's like. And we know our brother John would tell everybody what that was like. He used to say, Jared, I can't remember what life was like before I had eternal life. I've been living in God's grace for so long. I can't even remember what life was like before that. I used to think, wow. I remember it pretty well, but you know, as the days go by and I just see God's grace in my life and I enjoy everlasting life, the further away it gets, the less I can see that. And I can share that with you. It's an amazing thing. So believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, be saved. What's holding you back? Why not now? Why not right now? I'll be with the Through the valley of death, through the valley of death, I'm sure I must go. I'm sure I must go. So the wages of sin, so the wages of sin. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I'll be judged by the deep.
I'll be judged by the deed and the seed I have sown. And the seed I.